Good morning, Tri-Valley. I am here this morning at my local Safeway store, just doing some grocery shopping. And uh, you may come here yourself. You're probably familiar with doing the grocery shopping. This is a place where you might run into somebody that you know. It's where you go to get the necessities of life. And uh, I'm here a little bit earlier in the morning than normal, and I did that on purpose. The main reason is because I didn't want a bunch of people watching me talk to myself while pushing a cart around the grocery store. But the other reason is because as we watch and learn from Jesus, observe his life, and then ask ourselves as his disciples, how can we be like him and treat people the way that he treated people? We're going to follow him to a place that may, where somebody maybe doesn't want to be seen. It's the off hours time when Jesus goes and meets a woman in Samaria at the well in a city called Sychar. Now this is a well that uh, is actually still functioning to this day. It was a well that was given by the patriarch Jacob. And we're gonna see Jesus meeting a woman here on the off hours. We assume maybe she doesn't wanna be seen. She's got kind of a sordid past and uh, maybe does like I do, comes to the grocery store when there's not a lot of other people around so that you don't have to bump into people while you're taking care of your necessities of life. But, and there's a lot of this story that we could dissect. There's so much richness here. We're not gonna study it in incredible depth. But what I want us to focus on this morning is that Jesus goes there. Now the phrase, don't go there, this is something that you may have heard or that you may have used in your life. Uh, and it can be used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes people will say, don't go there, referring to something geographically, like, man, this is a bad part of town. Don't go there. Another way that people might use this phrase is when somebody starts to talk about a topic or a subject that is socially taboo. We all know that there's those three things that we're not supposed to talk about in polite conversation, religion, money, and politics. And if someone starts down that road, someone might say, hey, hey, don't go there. We're not gonna talk about that right now. And the third way that this can be used is if somebody asks a question that's a little bit too personal and somebody doesn't wanna go that deep in the conversation. Like say, hey man, I heard that your relationship is a little bit rocky, how's that been going? Someone might say, oh man, don't even go there. But what we'll see this morning is that Jesus goes there in all three of these areas in his encounter with this woman. And in doing so, the result is transform lives. So let's take a look at this encounter that Jesus has with this woman. And then let's ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to treat people the way that Jesus did? John chapter four. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? So the first thing we see is that Jesus goes there geographically. He literally goes to Samaria rather than traveling around it to avoid having to interact with those Samaritan people. And that's what Jewish folks did in that day. If you were from Galilee and you were on your way home from Jerusalem, you would go around, sometimes through Jericho. We even see this in the gospel. Sometimes Jesus does this, but this time he doesn't. What's the, what's the problem? with Jews and Samaritans. Well, they kind of have this long history of bad blood. 
Samaritans had occupied some of the lands that the Jews had returned to when they came back from the exiles. Samaritans claimed they were the true descendants of Abraham, and there was kind of trouble ever since. It's weird, though, that these two groups ever decided that they would be enemies in the first place, because they have so much in common, especially compared to everybody else in the ancient world. Both groups believed in the one true God. Both groups believed that God had chosen people to be a blessing to all nations. And both groups were dedicated to keeping the Torah, but they allowed their differences to come between us. This is a good place for us to stop and ask ourselves, where are we unwilling to go geographically? Maybe the inner city, poor neighborhoods, places where homeless people gather. What types of places or people in society do you avoid? Maybe it's young people. Maybe it's old people, loud people, sick people, dirty people. What about in the church? Do you interact with or build relationships just with people who are like you? People who have similar economic status or similar interests? I think if we're honest, we all have our own version of going around Samaria. As long as we continue to do that, we allow dividing walls to remain between us and between people that we're called to love and serve. We need to identify and admit to these prejudices and evaluate how much influence they actually have on our walk with the Lord. We see here and throughout the Gospels that Jesus was willing to find himself in some of those don't go there places in order to show love and to bring hope to people. When Lisa and I lived in Memphis, our church spent a lot of time going into the rough parts of the city to serve food, to share the gospel, meet needs, and just to, to have conversations and show love with people. And I have to admit, it made me very uncomfortable because these parts of the city were dirty and they were unpredictable and kind of scary. Being unfamiliar with this environment, my imagination would run away with me when I was in these kinds of places. Like, what's going to happen to me? What's the worst thing that could happen? I, I preferred to just stay in the suburbs where it was safe. But the more we did it, the more uh, we went downtown, the better I got at it, the better understanding I had of the kind of people who live there and what kind of opportunities presented themselves there. Exposure takes away the boogeyman factor and kind of replaces it with a heart for love and service. So in being willing to go there geographically, Jesus also goes there in the sense of bucking common cultural norms that were taboo at the time. We need to realize that we hear this story very differently than the first century hearers would have heard it. We hear the story, we go, okay, it's Jesus and it's a woman. They're having a nice little conversation by the well. And uh, the way we might respond is with this emoji. But John's original hearers would have responded with this emoji. It would have been the surprise, the shocked face emoji. Why is that? Because what Jesus does here is buck a lot of first century social norms. And I want to list some of them for us. And I've enlisted some help from some of the young people in our congregation, giving us the appropriate response that we should have if we're hearing this through first century ears. First of all, Jesus, a Jewish man, talks to a Samaritan. What? What? Not only that, he talks to a Samaritan woman. What? I'm sorry to say, but religious conversations was for the menfolk during this time. Women didn't do that. Women did things like draw the water. He talks to a Samaritan woman and she happens to be a woman of ill repute. What? What? No way. We find out later that she's had five husbands and now she's shacking up with a guy that's not her husband. This might be the reason that she was drawing water during the off hours of the day, so she doesn't have to deal with people and their stares and their pointing and their whispering. And as if that weren't enough, Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman of ill repute and he does it alone. Unbelievable. <sighs> something that rabbis would not have done at this time, had an unchaperoned conversation with a woman. 
And on top of all of this, he asks her for a drink from her water jar. What? <laughs> so yeah, the appropriate response to what Jesus does here is shock, confusion, disbelief. John says, when Jesus' disciples came back from buying food, in verse 27, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And then in verse 9, the woman herself was surprised that Jesus would stop and have anything to do with her. What's the, what's the problem? What's, what is everybody so concerned about? Well, you know, this is the way things are, because if Jews and Samaritans start meeting together and talking and sharing their water jugs, well, what? What will happen? Let's find out what happens. We'll see what happens next in this story. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Well, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So because Jesus broke social taboos in order to go there, Jesus was able to offer her living water. This is an image that Jesus uses in the book of John to describe salvation through him. And when you go there, despite unfounded social taboos and norms that are keeping people apart, you are able to offer people living water that Jesus is talking about. You're able to offer them life in its truest sense, life that is everlasting. And when we don't go there, we tend to keep this living water to ourselves and our own group of people. People who are comfortable on their side of boundary lines don't think that there's a problem. They think that everyone is living in peace. Samaritans? Oh, yeah. We stay away from them. They stay away from us. This is how it's been for years. And you know what? Everybody's fine with it. You know, here's the thing. We'll just go around Samaria on our way back from Jerusalem. We don't need their contaminated water from that well anyway. You guys, this is the system, and it's fine. It works. Everybody's happy, but it doesn't work. That's a very clear way of saying, I don't have to care about you. Breaking these boundaries, especially in order to share Jesus living water with people, is a very clear way of saying, I do care about you. I've talked before about the biblical concept of shalom. This is the, the Hebrew word for peace, but it really means so much more than just our simple definition of peace. Shalom peace isn't just the absence of conflict. The biblical concept of shalom means the best possible growing conditions, the best possible environment in which someone can live and thrive. And you can have absence of conflict and still not have shalom. Think about a field that doesn't have any water or an unhappy couple who haven't spoken to each other or slept together in months. That's not peace, that's neglect. And Jesus doesn't do neglect. Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman would have been seen as shocking and pointless and, and, and purposeless to the people who might have encountered that. And our efforts as Christians to be agents of God's shalom in the world might draw the same reaction from people. 
We don't need to do that. It's unnecessary. But if we want to be like Jesus, we push through the criticism to bring shalom and that living water to people. Well, after this exchange, Jesus goes there in the third sense of making things personal and awkward in the conversation. Listen to this. She asked for living water. Jesus says, well, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it no longer matters whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is shaming this woman for how many relationships she's had and outrightly saying the Jews are better than Samaritans when it comes to worshiping and understanding God. But keep in mind, Jesus doesn't go there just so that he can heap abuse on this woman. He goes there seeking to give her life that truly is life. Well, how does he do that in this awkward conversation? Well, first he offers her living water and then he reveals that he knows that her love life has been quite a mess for some time. Now, we don't know, as readers of this story, if her five marriages ended in divorce or death. We don't know if she sinned in these relationships or if she was sinned against. But either way, that's a lot of emotional baggage to have to carry around. No wonder she changes the subject when Jesus brings it up. So why does Jesus bring it up? He's talking about this living water that stays with you. It's something that comes up from inside you where God's Spirit dwells. And it cleanses every imperfection, every sin, every hurt, every failure, every disappointment. It's going to change her relationship status from it's complicated to loved by God. You have to go deep in order to have, let the Spirit do its cleansing work. And then he says, you Samaritans worship what you don't understand. What's that about? Well, Samaritans were like conservative Jews. They were a group of people who had left the conversation a long time ago. Kind of, la, 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 we don't want to participate anymore. Now think about how hard it was for Pharisees like Nicodemus to believe that the Messiah had come in Jesus of Nazareth. Now think about how much harder it would be for that important information to be received by this conservative group of, con- of Samaritans who were so far out of contact with their Jewish cousins. She might have preferred that Jesus didn't go there not mention her messy social history or her being part of a religious group that had a few chapters missing from their scriptures. But they were both things that were true and they were both necessary in order for her to receive Jesus the Messiah. Here's the thing. No one wants to have an awkward conversation. That's why we avoid them. That's why we apply phrases like, hey, hey, don't go there when someone touches a nerve or when things start to get a little bit too close for comfort. But if you love someone, then you're willing to risk the awkwardness 
of a conversation in order to get to truth that will bring transformation. Psychologists point out that humans have this innate need to know that they're loved and to know that they're safe. And in conversations, we often don't go deep with people because we're worried about being rejected. It's a, it's a safety concern. Or we often don't go deep because we're scared of revealing something that will cause someone to stop loving us. So it's totally understandable that the woman changed the subject here. But to her credit, she stayed in the conversation and she listened to Jesus. Now in our current climate, so much of what kills relationships is being quick to react, to get defensive, to deflect, being unwilling to go there. But in this encounter, Jesus demonstrates the power of speaking truth in love. And this woman demonstrates a, willing, a willingness to stay engaged. Question for us is, can we do the same? Throwing slogans at each other like water balloons is not the most effective way to distribute living water. It's something that has to dive down deep, changing us from within. And this involves relationship. And so, Tri-Valley, I encourage you to make time in your week to break through some barrier, to go somewhere that you've been avoiding, and commit to having a deep, meaningful conversation that's couched in love and rooted in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who offers living water. So as you read on in this story, you're going to see that this woman comes to believe what Jesus says. And then she runs to her village and she tells everybody that she's found the Messiah. Jesus ends up staying with the village and he teaches them for two days and many people become believers as well. The message of Jesus, you see, multiplies exponentially because of just one conversation, one relationship, one willingness to go there. Now think of how many people can come to discover the life that Jesus offers because of you and your willingness to engage, to build a relationship, to break down a barrier, and to go there. That's our challenge for us this week, Tri-Valley. I hope that you'll do this faithfully. Blessings.